Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It is good morning to you. Welcome to the program Monday, February 20. So we're off and running for the start of another working week in the NRL season proper, folks, is just around the corner. Now, the roundup with myself and Matty Johns will return next week. So we had a little we had a little preseason challenge. Then we had Super Bowl jump in the way. And today we're going to give you a full-blown Matty White uh, experience. But Matty Johns will join me uh, in about half an hour's time to talk through the preseason and I want your thoughts. So be prepared, folks. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning because believe me, there are a lot of answers that are needed either in rugby league or yes, you guessed it, cricket. What on earth happened in India overnight? If you watch that, well, get yourself armed. You can pick up the phone, one 1170 You can air your grievances here. I'm fine. You can, you can just load up and we'll take it all and absorb it. Or let me know your thoughts. So that's one three hundred oh one eleven seventy on the open line, as you know. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six on the text line. Welcome to you wherever you're listening across the SEN network on eleven seventy a.m. in Sydney, SENQ six ninety three a.m. Brizzy, SEN sixteen twenty on the Gold Coast, and across the network via the app. So we've got all bases covered. Uh, the weather for our listening areas. Well, for Sydney, sunny today. Tops of twenty nine in the city, thirty four in the west. But a few showers ahead tomorrow and Wednesday. And the same for Brisbane. Possible shower and 29 today. Pretty much the same for the rest of the working week. So let's hook in and let's start with the world of football and the pre-season challenge. And this morning you can give me your snap judgments. Snap fitness on a mission to help you feel fantastic. Do you feel fantastic about the pre-season challenge? What did you learn from it? What did you take away from it? And are there any real messages that you can look at your team and say, yep, that one works for me heading into round one? We know this. The Manly Ringer Seagulls, not too long ago, were the biggest rabble you could find. They were in all sorts of drama. Lost, what, seven games in a row last year? Tipped everything up, got rid of their coach, got a new one. We had pride. I mean, I could throw them at you willy-nilly. They're $100,000 richer today. And they haven't won really any silverware But, gee, they won a few hearts, especially on the weekend with their performances under Anthony Seabold, under the new regime, Shane Flanagan alongside him, Jim Dimmick taking control of other things at the club as well. Still no Tom Trebojevic, still no Daly Cherry Evans, Lachlan Croker, player of the year last year at Manly, still sitting on the sidelines throughout the preseason challenge. And they come out, beat the Roosters in Gosford. One more offload would have nailed them the 100 grand on Friday night. And Ruben Garrick, who's one heck of a player and can score a hell of a lot of points, when it comes to the crunch on the offload territory, (laughs) boy, did he let that down. But it was okay because it was rush job city. But there are some players there that could well and truly make a difference. And I'll touch on this with Matty Johns, especially on the left edge. Now, we know that Manly have always had, or last few seasons, Hamali Olakowatu on the right side. Dangerous. They've now got Telma Tuilagi on the left side. 
dangerous. And they've got a stack of other players to come in as well. So there's danger signs there. It's only preseason. It's only preseason. But what do you think? Give me a first snap judgment this morning on the Seagulls. Are they the real deal? Things are a lot better than they were just a few months ago, but the premiership proper hasn't started. And here's one for you. Where should they spend the cash? What are they going to do with the 100 grand? Where would you like to see the winning club of the preseason challenge spend the $100,000? Does it go straight to the top drawer of the boss? Does it go into the players' fund? Do you funnel it back into the community? What do you do with it? Because it's now done and dusted, the preseason challenge. On that, the Sharks impressive yesterday against the new look Bulldogs. So Cronulla win 36-16. Um, Reed Marnie is going to make a heck of a difference at the Bulldogs. No question about it. And not only that, will make a heck of a difference to those around him. Best service in the game out from dummy half. What impact will that ha- have on the Bulldogs who got comprehensively done yesterday by 20 points in the end. Viliame Kikau starts his career at Belmore with a try, but then had to go off. And of course, there, there are really good signs from the Bulldogs. But when we get to this preseason challenge question, there's a couple of thoughts here that I want to let you know about that, 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 trans, um, that, that came out yesterday and then also got us thinking this morning. So Dale Finucane didn't know about the bonus points rule. <laughs> he didn't know about it. Another seven offloads would have got them the cash, but he didn't know. And I think that's fair enough. It sounds a bit weird, but I reckon that's fair enough. Their coach, Sharks coach Craig Fitzgibbon, said after the match, I was only aware of it too late. I said go for it, but it's really hard. It can change a mentality if you go and chase it, but there's a bigger picture at play here. The thought behind it's great because you want to see footy played. This is Craig Fitzgibbon, but how is an offload more entertaining than a normal pass? I'm not sure. It's a really good question. So out of everything that we saw in the preseason, and we'll have a look at some other games uh, shortly, what do you think about the whole bonus point system and the 100 grand on offer? And did it add anything to the excitement level that you saw across the weekend? One of the key points to me was Fox were keeping their count but had to always have the caveat to say this is our count, not the NRL's count. So whilst they were keeping count in the Manly game, for instance, got up to nine offloads, it could be 10 once they dig into the stats overnight. If you're going to do it, get it right straight up. That's not Fox's problem. That's the NRL's problem. So if you're going to do a countdown that involves bonus points that could determine the 100 grand and the preseason challenge, it's not the biggest thing, but do it right. You don't sit around in stats world and wait until you get the final ticker tape tomorrow. So get on board with your broadcaster, have one number, and make it that simple. So was the offload bonus point system worth it to you? Let me know your thoughts on that one. The West Tigers look good against the Raiders, 36 points to four. The Tigers have still got to get Appy Coruscant into that team, and John Bateman's on the way as well. Paid the visa money, and he's ready to rumble soon. So can attack under Tim Sheens get them in the eight? Does defence win your premierships these days, or can attack, which is clearly what we've seen from the West Tigers, be the difference. What do you think about that? 0457 736 736. The Rabbitohs pile on the points against the Dragons in the Charity Shield. So South scored seven tries to four, 42 points to 24 in Mudgee. Now, Dragons coach Anthony Griffin, I'm not going to be the first to say it. I won't be the last to say it. 
and you'll hear it ad nauseum. He's under pressure. He's declared he can fix the Dragons before their season kicks off. So can he? Do you think he can? Can Anthony Griffin turn it around in the first five or six weeks of the Premiership? Because believe me, folks, whether we like it or not, there's a little ticking time bomb there that the media will count down every single tackle, every missed tackle, every play. So can Anthony Griffin turn it around or not? Let me know your thoughts. St. Helens win the World Club Challenge. They beat Penrith 13 points to 12. Vossi and Brandy have covered the old ice in their veins situation this morning. Lewis Dodd finally hits the field goal in the 82nd minute. Now, if you watch this, you not only saw a pretty thrilling game right down to the end, but you saw what it meant to the St. Helens Club to win this World Club Challenge. Wormsley, right outside of the posts. You get a quick enough play the ball, Wormsley. Roby calls the shots. Back it goes. Left foot shot. That's They've it. done it. The little halfback. Lewis Dodd. Lewis Dodd has won the World Club Challenge for St. Helens. Have a look at the reaction of the St. Helens players. From the other side of the world, they have come and they have taken the World Club Challenge trophy. And they partied like no tomorrow and good on them. The celebration scenes were fantastic. I wonder if Penrith would have celebrated like that. I mean, a World Club Challenge is a World Club Challenge. It's that simple. And for St. Helens to come over here, and we know the slap down that they put uh, on Phil Gould in particular, we know that how, how difficult it is. So for them to celebrate showed how much it meant to them. It was an incredible performance. How much do you read, though, into the Panthers' loss? Because you think about it. It's their first big one. Their first big loss in a decider. It's only a preseason challenge and it's only a World Club challenge only. But it's the first time in the biggest stage that somebody's actually knocked them off in the last couple of years. So how much do you read into Penrith's loss? The Dolphins... They start 2023 without a win, start the preseason without a win. They drew with the Cowboys in game one and they got done by Gold Coast 40 points to 16 last night. So the snap judgment here is more of a question, a snap question for you. When do the Dolphins get their first win of the season? So they've got the Roosters round one at Suncorp Stadium. Round two, they're at home at Redcliffe against the Raiders. Round three, in Newcastle against the Knights. Round four, back at Suncorp against the Broncos. And then round five, down to Wollongong against the Dragons. When do the Dolphins get their first win of the season? Let me know your thoughts. Thanks to Snap Fitness with you every step of the way. Snapfitness.com.au. Matty Johns will join us soon. Righto, folks, are you ready? Cricket, to sweep or not to sweep? That is seriously the question. India win by six wickets. The details of this. Australia 263 and then bowled out yesterday for 113. I saw Travis Head get out and then I had some stuff to do. And by the next time that I'd sat down in front of the TV, India were batting. And I thought, what on earth is going on here? Well, what happened was a complete collapse. One for the ages. Nine Australian batsmen fell for 48 runs in about 91 minutes. It was over and done within an hour and a half. Nine Australian batsmen failed to get past single figures. And then India come out, drop four wickets along the way, but they win the second test. And Pajara knocks a four on the last delivery, 31 not out in his 100th test. And that's the Border Gavaskar Trophy done. Two matches of a four-match series 
the trophy's done. So to sweep or not to sweep? Well, five Aussies fell sweeping. Steve Smith, gone for nine, sweeping to Jadeja. Australia then were three for 85. By the time Matt Renshaw went for two, sweeping to Jadeja, they were five for 95. By the time Pat Cummins, the captain, went for zero, sweeping to Jadeja, bold, seven for 95. Alex Carey, reverse sweeping to Jadeja. Reverse sweeping to the bloke who's just absolutely rolling through them. Eight for 110, three runs later. Matt Kuhneman on debut, reverse sweeping, and they're gone. All out for 113. Australia's sweep shot percentage in the second innings was 10.7%. Doesn't sound like much. India, 1.4% in the first, 1.3% in the second. You reckon that India might know what they're doing on those kind of pitches? And you reckon that with all the stats that you see coming out of the coach's box and all of the laptops whirring away that somebody didn't figure out, you can't do it when the match is underway. And now I've heard this this morning. You, you can't walk out there and say, don't sweep. You can say it on the way out. <laughs> you, you can't change a plan mid-course, but I'll get back to that in just a second. But they would have known that the sweep percentage was not even more than one and a half from India. That's why they've got all the stats in front of them. How on earth do they go out and sweep at 10.7% knowing that India, in their own backyard, are sweeping less than 2%? Pat Cummins had the unenviable job of trying to explain the plan after the match. Yeah, everyone's up to, you know, they're in control of their own game. Um, so, yeah, some of it's, you know, planning. You're going to get some balls that have your name, you know, on it anyway. It wasn't, wasn't easy. You know, Ashman and Jadeja were bowling well, but... I think that'll be the review, you know, shot choice. Did we go about it the right way? And we'll work that over the next few days. Got it wrong. That's, that's, I mean, you, you don't, I, do you want to be Pat Cummins? That's what, that's my question to you. Do you want to be Pat Cummins coming out there and saying, how do I answer this one? Cause we stuffed it up. If he says that it's a pile on. So he tried to work his way around it. Ravi Jadeja, however, player of the match, well, he was a little bit more direct. My plan was, you know, try and just uh, keep bowling into the stump. If they make misstep, then I have, a, I have a chance to get them out. Do you think sweep shot is a good option against Ravindra Jadeja? Not on this kind of wicket. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's pretty simple. Not on this kind of wicket. The sweep shot to me when I'm bowling like that. Nah, nah, I wouldn't be doing that. As in, listen up, folks. That was the wrong course of action. The experts have been pretty damning. Alan Border in particular on Fox Sports. I'm disappointed. I'm sure shocked, angry about uh, the way we went about our work today. Panic? Did they panic? It was panicky, frenetic sort of batting. I mean, no one sort of got in there and tried to sort of stem the flow with just some good defensive cricket. You know, they were all just getting out, playing sweep shots, reverse sweeps, playing shots to just about every ball. And you just can't get away with that on that sort of track. You've got to have a method where you're playing within your limitations really grossly. You're not playing on a flat belter where you can expand your game. You're playing on a really difficult surface. You've got to work out where your scoring options are. So plan A didn't work. Now, one of the strengths of Australian cricket, and this is something I noticed in particular, when Shane Warne finished playing cricket and started commentating cricket, he let us inside especially that era of what they would do and what he would do. And it'd be ball by ball, over by over, innings by innings, match by match. Plan A doesn't work. What's plan B? 
Plan B doesn't work. What's plan C? And let's work our way through it. If you look at what Australia had last night and what Pat Cummins was, or yesterday, what Pat Cummins was saying right there was shot selection. They had a plan. You can't fault them for having a plan. You can fault them for going in with the wrong plan, but then you can fault them also for sticking to a plan that wasn't working, clearly wasn't working. You've got players like Matt Kuhneman on debut playing reverse sweep shots when you want to try and eke every single run out of it, and it's clearly the plan that he's been given, and it's not working. You've got Steve Smith, guy averages 60 in test cricket. Matt Renshaw gets the golden opportunity, sweeps gone. Paddy Cummins, so many people have said, you should know better, you're the captain. He's not a batter, but he's the captain. Alex Carey, reverse sweeping again. They fell, they fell, they fell, and they didn't stick to the plan or didn't adjust, sorry, the plan that they had. So what happens in 10 days' time, folks? David Warner won't be there. Cameron Green and Mitchell Stark come back in, so you'd think that Travis Head stays at the top of the order. What do they do with Matt Renshaw? Probably Green comes in, Renshaw goes out. And then what do you do with your spinners? Do you stick with the spinners that you've got? Ashton Agar hasn't had a look in, but Mitchell Stark should be ready to fire. So let me know your thoughts around that. Was it the plan? Did they just get it wrong? Do you go back to the coach's box? Where do you point the blame here? And they've got 10 days to fix it. So what will be the turnaround? Stephen O'Keefe, Socky, will give us his take this morning. In the NBL, the Sydney Kings are into their second straight grand final series. So they beat the Cairns Taipans 95 to 87. The New Zealand uh, Breakers defeated the Jack Jumpers 88 to 68. So New Zealand into their first decider since 2016. They won it in 2015. And the Kings going for back-to-back into their third grand final series in four years. The five-game series starts next Friday. Uh, 0457 736 736 is the text line. Matty John's coming up. Socky will join me. Kane Pittman to talk basketball. Brett Phillips, host of the first serve with the latest from the world of tennis and a whole stack more as well. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is the open line number. Plenty of your texts coming through. It's 22 minutes after nine in Sydney, 22 minutes after eight for our Queensland listeners. You were listening to Mornings with Matt White. Come and join the show after this. And it's great to have Host Plus on board as a sponsor of the morning program. Welcome back to you. Don't forget, Matty Johns will join me after the news coming up in about three minutes' time with Vanessa on the PGA Tour. Uh, So the Genesis Open, this might ring a bell. That was the one a couple of years ago where Tiger ended up flipping the Genesis uh, car, the courtesy car. And then the whole world fell apart. So the same event a couple of years later. And, of course, Tiger's playing in this one now. Um, but it looks as though John Rahm is, well, he's he's edging closer and closer towards victory. But he's got Max Homer on his tail. So through 14 holes, Rahm is 16 under and Homer 15 under through 13. Um, Patrick Cantlay 14 under through 15. The best of the Aussies is finished. And that is Jason Day. So he's fired a final round six under. Um, So a good finish for Jason Day to be at nine under, currently tied for eighth in that uh, final round of the Genesis Open. So we'll keep you posted with that as Ram sinks uh, putt, and that should keep him at 16 under. Yes, it does. So 16 under, heading to the 16th hole for John Ram. 0457 736 736. Now, I reckon this might be a recurring theme, and I'm happy to debate this one with you. Um, But this text first up this morning from the Jawa. No surprise we crumbled again in the second test. Justin Langer 
began to instill fight and pride back into the team, but players couldn't handle the tough love and truths that he spoke. Cricket Australia got rid of JL, and the lack of heart and courage is clearly evident in both tests from the Jawa. So let's go down that rabbit hole if you want this morning, because I I disagree with you, Jawa. I don't think that you can lay the blame of what happened out there. Maybe little bits, but I don't think you can lay the blame on the fact that Justin Langer is no longer there, because I don't think that toughness and courage and pride and all that kind of stuff comes into a very poor decision. A very poor decision to have a plan that didn't work. Now, that's a tactical decision. It's probably a statistical decision. As I mentioned to you, the 10.7% sweep percentage versus a 1.3% sweep percentage of the home team who live and breathe those kind of pitches. Not just spinning pitches, low spinning pitches. Right, So does that come back to the coach distilling tough love into there and adding some true fight? I don't, I don't think so. I think it comes down to some pretty poor decisions. Now, that may have been through the coaching staff. It could have been through the captaincy, and it obviously translated itself out onto the field. But if you think that that's where it lies, let me know. Agree with you, Matt, on having the capacity to adapt and apply different plans. I think success in test test cricket is so much about being able to problem solve. Our team went for the quick fix. Well, they went for the jugular, didn't they? They tried. They tried to push it along, and it didn't work. And adapting is certainly a key, and they did not adapt. Now, if that's where the focus has got to be in the next 10 days, then fine. I'm all for that. I don't think they need to look each other in the eye and say, were you tough enough today? Did you grit it out? Did you smart it out? We know the answer to that. No. Did they plan it out? No. So they're the things that they're going to have to work on. Let me know your thoughts. Let's break for the news. Matty John's coming up. Thank you, Vanessa. This time next week, we'll be back into the roundup. So Matty John's joining me for the first two hours, nine till 11 on a Monday morning, eight till 10 for our Queensland listeners. But Matty's on the phone right now because you're nice and busy. Morning, Matthew. What are you up to this morning? Matty, how are you, mate? We're, uh, well, out at Homebush. It's, it's that time of the year. What have we got? Uh, two weeks for the season starts. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're interviewing a lot of the sides. Did a few yesterday. Uh, and doing about eight or nine of them today. Ooh. And so, you know, it's this time of the year, um, they're all in a pretty good mood because they're all, all on equal points. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So... Yeah, but no, they were good. You know, yesterday we did the Broncos boys, the Knights, um, uh, a couple of other sides. They all look pretty relaxed, mate. They're all they're all in a uh, they're all in a good mood, all ready to go. It'd be good, mate, wouldn't it? Um, because this goes across all sports. But it'd be good if you could sit down the same players that you're speaking to at the moment in 26 mm. or 27 weeks and ask them the same questions and see what the answers are. Because you're right, at the moment, there's no dramas. Nobody's fighting with anyone. There aren't any blues. They haven't lost. There's no problems. However, yeah. things turn around, don't they? Well, I do. And, and you know, even the coaches at this time of the year, you'll bump them. They'll be relaxed. How you going to go? Yeah, well, I think we're going to have a good season. We're prepared well. Everyone's, you know, they, everyone believes they're prepared well. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know... You, you get some teams that get off to a good start. They've won three in a row. Others that have dropped three in a row. And, you know, that, that's, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, Bron- Broncos are a perfect example. You know, I was watching the Broncos play the other night. They've got, an outs- they've got an outstanding pack of forwards, their back line. I mean, 
you know, watch, watching some of the stuff Selwyn Cobbo has been doing mm. is just... Um, you know, I talked to Adam Reynolds yesterday, you know, and he's played a lot of football with GI, and I said, I said, you know, this kid's got the potential to be better than Greg. And he was like, yeah, yes, I know. Um, so the Broncos... I mean, the Broncos have got the talent to force their way into a top-four spot. My, my, I, I find it hard to trust the Broncos at this time of the year. I'll trust them a lot more when they've dropped two or three in a row and they get out of that hole. Mm. Because what's happened the previous few years is they play some great football, the things are going great, and all of a sudden they drop a couple and literally they just capitulate. Um, so... Yeah, they've got a lot going for them. The side that we haven't interviewed, but a couple of sides really impressed me over the course of the weekend. Of course, the Tigers were very, very good. The Sharks are my smoky. Everything I watched them play against Newcastle closely, yep. and their style of football, the way they went about their work is works exactly for the modern game. They, they were, they, everything they did was so deliberate. And on the weekend, they played the Bulldogs, who... The Bulldogs turned up yesterday, and they were they were up for it emotionally. They were enthusiastic, and I was thinking, wow, here we go. Viliami uh, Kickhouse scores first of all, but the Sharks just absorbed that enthusiasm and emotion and then counterpunched and just won the game easily. It was really, really impressive. And, of course, Manly, Matty, yeah. I mean, your, your team. It was... Um, I looked at the two teams on paper, right, and... You know, the Roosters picked a very strong side. Manly rest a lot of their stars. And they had a young team. And I'm thinking to myself, because, you know, I've got a vested interest there with Cooper. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, I hope this doesn't get too ugly. And it just blew me away. It blew me away. Some of the, the, some of the young guys at, at Manly, some of those young outside backs, Ola Kawatu in the back row, they were just, I mean, they, they were so mighty. That was that was a great performance. You've seen enough teams to know what's a happy squad and what's not. And let's face it, Manly wasn't a happy place at the back end of last year. They weren't alone, but it wasn't a happy joint for a whole number of reasons. Whatever's happening yep. under Anthony Seabold, Shane Flanagan and Jimmy Dimmick under there seems to have got them in a good place. So how much weight do you put into what you saw, not just on the field, but what you saw from the unit? I watched a Matty on their reactions to certain plays when they got a penalty go their way and your young bloke was in the thick of it and they made sure that everybody came around high five, did all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's second nature to teams like Penrith that have grown up playing with each other. So how much do you see in the culture of the place? Oh, you, you you just see it like um, you recognize that you've been there before. You've been in sides that are just better flying and they want to be around each other and, uh, then yeah, and I've been in sides where things are tough, and there's the blame game going on, and all that sort of stuff. But uh, but yeah, mate, they, they, Maddie, they looked uh, they looked uh, they, they looked really really good. I, you know, like you mentioned it before, the uh, the coaching team that uh, they've assembled has been. Is, one second, mate. That's got Munster and some of these blokes here. in there, boys. Yeah, in there. mate. I thought you were supposed to be sober in there. Okay, there. Yeah. <laughs> Just. <laughs> um, but the the um, yeah the coaching team has been perfect, right? So they've got Anthony Seabold there, and the criticism with Anthony Seabold at um, at uh, at Brisbane was that you know he was too technical. He was. 
you know, the players were confused and everything like that, you know, and he, there's no doubt you can see that he's learnt from that, but also they've put Shane Flanagan alongside him, mm. and Flano's very pragmatic. Flano keeps, you know, like yesterday I heard a piece of commentary with Flano, and he said, well, the year we won the competition, he said I would send my boys out there some weeks with a whole focus on defence, because I knew if we, if, we, if, we, if we miss less than 20 tackles, we definitely win. Uh, and that's so I can see that perfect mix between the science and just knowing what it takes, being very pragmatic, very straightforward, and saying, right, oh, boys, this is what we've got to do. And Jimmy Dimmick, Jimmy Dimmick is just a player's man. Yeah. I, I played alongside Jimmy, been away in a World Cup with him. Jimmy's just a great guy, and players love him. So, they, look, Manly have assembled a very, very good team and a very balanced uh, coaching coaching team. What did you make of the bonus point system? Because it, like Dale Finucane's come out and said, I didn't really know what was going on. Craig Fitzgibbon actually made a very good point. I mean, focusing on offloads, does that make the game more entertaining than a good pass? So, I mean, you, they threw something at him. I'm not going to be critical of the NRL for having a crack, yeah. but it was all a little bit over the place. I I don't mind. I, I like the fact that they've gone out, Matty, and they've just used this during the pre-season to jazz it up a little bit. I, I love the fact they've put prize money up. I would actually, you know, for sides to even put, dad put more emphasis on the pre-season twice um, and put even stronger sides in. I'd be saying that you get 100,000 cash and you get 100,000 off the cap as well. You, you'd be surprised then suddenly how yeah. much string, you know, not as many stars would be missing. Look, Look, this is the great thing about trials, and you know, you get the ability, you know, you can experiment. It became like it became, it became a bit farcical at times because watching the sharks yesterday, there were young blokes sort of grabbing hold of the opponents and just trying to flick it out the back to get those extra offloads. Yeah. But you know, like no no harm in that. There's not two points up for grabs. So it was, I, I, I was, it was quite funny because I'm sitting on the couch with a young bloke yesterday, and he's going, oh no. I oh, know they've got to get six more offloads, and they turn the ball over, and he goes to the ball. But just hold it, kick it into touch. So yeah, it provided a bit of entertainment. I reckon that wait, they wait, could. And, then, and I'll say on top of this, Matty. Yeah. And then amongst the players, <laughs> as full time hit all around the players, that they were texting each other, going, "Where's that hundred thousand dollars?" Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I made believe me. I know that question was asked straight away. Where who gets the hundred and how much do we get of it? That's the that's the one. And these are blokes yeah. that are earning a million bucks a year. That they you know you can't take the cash yeah. out of the footballer. Just well, I, I reckon yeah. you could do something, mate. Further to that, if you're going to do that, you could do something like build it into an app. So when you're sitting at home, for instance, you can count it down as you go because if you can get if you can trial it like that and it half works and then you can get the fan invested on the on the lounge, yeah. then it's probably a yeah. bit of a win. Matty, look, trial, trial games, look, we started with the, the sevens years ago. It was all about the fans. It was fantastic. They loved it. We moved to the nines, the same. We got the all-stars. Uh, and anything you can do in the trial. Look, yeah, trials are about just blowing out the cobwebs and and... And I think it's trials are as important to the players as they are for the coaches. And the Tigers are the best example of that. Like the Tigers were diabolical against the Warriors, but you just knew that it gave food for thought to Tim Sheens. And Sheens is a, is a genius at recognising um, what he needs to do with the football side and putting a style and, and, and putting in place a style which suits that side. And 
You know, that, that, that was the importance of a trial game. You know, if the Tigers don't trial, suddenly that, perform, that, that first trial performance is round one. Right? And it, so it's an, it is a necessary evil. You, you risk injury, but it, it's so important. They really, I was really impressed by the Tigers because they looked like a Tim Sheen's coach side. And the bloke I highlight is David Clemmer, right? Yeah. Clem did more passing yesterday and did more sleight of hand than I've ever seen in his career. Catching the ball, dropping blokes on the inside of him, dumbing the bloke on the inside, feeding Adam Dewey. Then other times doing his bread and butter, just bending the line back. So they looked like very much like a Tim Sheen's coach side yesterday. It just shows, Matty, is that most sides are going to improve. Right? It, that, you know, but, I, but I do lock in, barring a, a catastrophe or uh, injury, I do lock in about six sides that'll be there. Yeah. So I tell you, there's going to be some hot competition for those last two spots. Yeah, I, I reckon we got a few questions out of the trials, which is good we, because we don't know the answers, and that's kind of what you want. No, I'm with you now. I'm starting to think, geez, what does my top eight look like? Even though they're trials, but but what does it look like? Because some of those teams have got you thinking. Just a final question for you, because you got a bolt. You mentioned the word importance of, of trial matches. What about the importance that was attached to St Helens winning that World Club Challenge and their reaction to beating Penrith? It, I just thought it was. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was fantastic for the game. I thought it was so good because it, um, like the English game, um, it, it needed that result. And I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like you know, there's been there's a lot of criticism. You know, of Gus saying you know, like, you know, they'll be lapped at half time. Yeah, that's probably that, that's too far. But did I give St Helens a chance? No, I didn't. I, particularly going out and playing Penrith at Penrith, but they just dug in. They, they were great. I think what helped them a little bit was that cyclone that basically hit just before the start of the game. You know, it was very English conditions. But they, they, were, they were terrific. They were great. And you know, as is the, na- the nature of the NRL, there would have been a lot of clubs and scouts having a look at that St Helens team. Jack Wellsby will be the one. Yeah. They're the one they go after. The young fullback, Warmsley, the front rower, is you know he is. He's in the top front rowers and top five front rowers in the game. I know Melbourne had a big play at him a few years ago, but he's uh, he's a he's a, a Lancashire lad at heart. He didn't want to leave there, He'll stay there. But I reckon there'll be one or two clubs that will have another crack at him. But mate, good on St Helens. It was uh, they, they were fantastic, and the scenes after the game. You know, they're, they're, they're travelling fans, everything. It was it was really, really good to watch. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. Good on you, mate. Uh, I'll speak to you Matty, next week. We'll do the roundup next Monday morning. Matty, I apologise not being there. I'll be there next week, pal. See you then. Matthew Johns joining us uh, out there for Fox Sports, interviewing players left, right and centre. So the roundup coming your way with uh, Matty next Monday morning. So what did you take in from all that? I mean, Jack Wellsby is an out-and-out star. Have you got a club for him? Could you think of a club that would be the good fit right now for somebody like Wellsby? And are you happy? Here's one for you that's just, I I posed this last week or the week before. The World Club Challenge is fantastic. Should it be standalone? Did it get a little bit lost in the preseason challenge? Are you okay with that? Because I think the results certainly helped and the way that it finished, no doubt helped. But the World Club Challenge kind of got in the mix of the preseason challenge where the charity shield was living as well and the hundred grand and the bonus points and all that kind of stuff. We, we got a lot out of the last couple of weeks, no doubt about it. And it certainly wasn't boring 
and it did pose a lot of those questions about our top eight, and that's what we want. We want it. We want the unknown heading into the season. But the World Club Challenge should it be a standout? Should it start um, the preseason? How do we make it fit? Is there a way that you can make it better? Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. I've got to say this text uh, message machine is going into meltdown about Australia v India. Give me your thoughts on the plan that just, uh, well, it's spectacularly back, uh, backflipped on Australia, didn't it? It just did not work. To try and sweep their way to victory, they swept their way to trouble. Back after this. Stephen O'Keefe will join us in our next hour to try and break down what on earth happened in the second test over there in India and what to do next. What's the socky fix? That's what I want to know. Uh, Wellsby to the Eels, Brown to seven, Gutho to six, and Wellsby at one. Moses can take the Tigers cash, says Phil on the text line. Thank you for that. Morning, Matt. The preseason was just that, a preseason. The bonus point system was too difficult to really monitor with offloads. $100,000, yeah, it's something, but really no big deal. Can't comment on the games themselves because I never watch one game. Don't have Fox or KO or whatever. But if the NRL want to continue with a preseason comp in the future, it needs a total overhaul. Um, does it? It's hard for you to comment when you haven't watched it, obviously. And if you don't have the subscription, you can't watch all of the matches. But um, just like I said to Matty Johns there, I, I'm okay with them trying different things. What I do hope is that they sit around now and go, okay, how do we make those better? If you're going to include offloads, for instance, just make it re- – it's a really simple fix because I'll tell you the first question I would have asked. What are the numbers that you're putting up on TV? Are they the accurate numbers? Does that determine it or not? And if there's a um, not sure answer, don't do it. Fix it first, then do it. It add a little bit of drama and intrigue to it, but you can solve it straight away and don't confuse – do not confuse your viewer. Uh, really surprised by the cricket result. Every time I heard a grab from Cummins last week, everything was all good. No dramas. Nothing to see here. The result was inevitable, says Mr. Quintessential. It was once they stuck to the plan that wasn't working. Yeah, at the Genesis uh, Invitational, John Rahm has just tapped in for par. So he missed about a maybe a six-foot birdie putt, six or seven-foot birdie putt on the 17th. That would have taken him to 18 under and three clear of Max Homer, but he's now stays at 17 under and two clear of Max Homer, who almost chipped in from the bunker. Um, So missed opportunities for both of the leaders on the 17th, and Patrick Cantlay now knocks it in on his 18th hole for a 67. So he finishes at 14 under. So we've got the final two going down the final hole of Rahm leading at 17 under the card, Homer two behind him, heading down the 18th. So we'll keep you across that. 0457 736 736 is the number that you need to know. Uh, We are diving into all sorts of issues. Have you got a quick fix? Because it appears as though the quick fix was trying to be on yesterday. Have you got a quick fix for the Australian cricket team? 10 days time. And the big question this hour on the program, to sweep or not to sweep? That is the question that faced the Australian cricketers in that uh, second test against India. Well, they went with the two-sweep option and it spectacularly backfired on them. So we'll get Stephen O'Keefe's thoughts on that very soon. Still digging into the preseason, of course. What did you make of the preseason challenge and what questions or answers did you get out of it leading into the season proper? At the Genesis Invitational, John Rahm has just drilled his drive down the 18th. So he's on the fairway. 
Max Homer, however, has laid it and pushed it into the right-hand side. It was a weird, weird tee-off from Homer. He needs to make up a couple of shots on the last to stop Rahm from winning it, but Rahm's in the box seat to take that one as they go down the final hole. Uh, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Let's go straight to the open line. We'll start with you, Rooster Ash from Liverpool, who's called in about the preseason challenge. Good morning. Your thoughts on what you've just seen over the last couple of weeks? Good morning, Matty. Um, I, you know, like we all we all tend to want to bag stuff, but I'm of the the reasoning that. Trials are trials, and everyone goes, oh, the state is just a trial. But to add a little bit of um, like the money or the, the offloads or whatever is interesting to everybody. It's, that, they may need to tweak it a bit. How? I don't know. But, I mean, I love every every minute of it, and except for when Manly beat the Roosters, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, to tell you the truth, after um, Manly scored their second try, I turned it off because I just thought Manly were on, on fire and the Roosters just didn't look like, uh, I don't know, mate. They mm. didn't want to defend uh, the way that they should. Did you, as a, as a Roosters fan, mate, right. did, you take any, did you take anything out of it leading into the season proper? Um, just that a lot of blokes got a, a trial in different positions yeah. and you know like um, Robbo is going to be very very disappointed uh, of the fact that Manly put 26 on him because he's so he's such a defensive um, coach and yeah he, that, that well I Oh, we've lost you we've lost your rooster Ash but thank you mate yeah we're just losing you you've gone into the deep dark hole but appreciate that, yeah, it's it's what you take out of it, isn't it? But obviously you saw the early signs there and, and thought, I've seen enough. Um, it was 28-16 in the end. Thank you, mate. I appreciate that call. Steve from Wrackneville's on the line. Good morning, Steve. Hey, buddy. How are you travelling? Good, thanks. Mate, the pre-season. Now, I've called it a barrier trial before. Yes. And now all it is is the world's most expensive barrier trial. <laughs> um, if, it, if it meant anything, to me, there'd be a couple of things. Trials are meant to as I was, you know, get miles into people's legs, but there was a whole lot of top-flight players that didn't go to the World Cup that didn't run around. Moses, for one, with Parramatta. And secondly, if the comp actually meant anything, Ryan Madison would have been able to wipe two of his three games <laughs> suspension out, but they're not letting him do it. So how do you give credibility to a comp where you win 100 grand at a trophy yeah. for passing the ball seven times more than the other one? Yeah, uh, look, I, I, it's, a, it's a valid question, mate. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't think we should poo-poo it. I think they've got to do something, and I'm, I'm fine for the fact that they had a crack at a few different things. I think your your points are very valid. I mean, you win something for um, essentially in the end having more offloads, but that's just part of the game, really. That's that's more for for entertainment value. I, I just. What I saw, I saw some pretty good standards of games. That's what I saw. And I also saw some clear indicators for me. For the Manly game, for instance, Steve, I saw that now with uh, Tuilagi on the left-hand side, I see options there on both sides of the field. For the Bulldogs, even though they got done by the Sharks, you see that Reid Marnie's going to make a massive difference. That service from dummy half is going to open up both left and right. And I reckon Kyle Flanagan's going to be one of the biggest beneficiaries. So you see, you get a whole lot out of it. 
The other stuff is a little bit of fluff around it. Yeah, but it's like, as a paramedic supporter, mate, I would have loved to have seen Moses run around. Um, I would have loved to have seen Gutho at 5'8", for yeah. when they buy their fullback because they're going to lose Moses. Um, I would have loved to have seen that, but it just, it's, to me, it was a bit like AFL X down here in Mexico. It was, it was a joke. They ran it for three years. A whole lot of teams that needed the money got the money, and I know Manly can probably deal with it because they're still paying a coach or two out. Um, <laughs> You know, you can't, it's not every child player wins a prize, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Good on you, Steve. Thank you. You you actually raise a good point because they did pose the question, what do they do with the 100 grand? Which way do you you feed it into the system? Perhaps they might have to put it into the um, pay off the coach department. (laughs) You raise a very good point. 0457 736 736 is the text line number or 1300 01 1170 is the open line number. So further to that and Steve's comments there, do you, do you think, you know, a, a trial's just about miles? Um, is it expensive? Do, are you playing for something? Should we give a trophy or a hundred grand to somebody who wins because they've got more offloads than the others? I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. And the biggest thing I'm guaranteeing that you will hear from every single coach is about the injuries. So a hundred grand's great. Answering a few questions, great. Um, Keeping people like me and you happy or unhappy, that's sort of part of the game. But did you come out of it with the season proper two weeks away without some major injuries to your top-line players? If you get a yes, that's better than 100K because <laughs> the coach ain't going to see the 100,000. So India win by six wickets in the second test. The Border Gavaskar Trophy will uh, remain in their hands, but obviously everybody talking about the sweep. Chetiswai Pajara, 31 not out in his 100th test and stayed around to make sure that he was there. He got the opportunity because he got nothing in the first innings and he gets the opportunity to hit the winning runs. So all kinds of scenes and all kinds of fallout from this side, um, from the Australian side. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that this morning. On the line is Stephen O'Keefe. Good morning to you, Sock. Well, is it is it such a good morning, Maddie? I, I wake up, I feel, I'm feeling flat and depressed. Not that that's any different to a normal morning, but it's even more so after watching that. Uh, how would you describe that collapse that happened last night with the Australian batting lineup, followed by India, you know, clinching the Border Gavaskar Trophy? So I'm a little bit depressed this morning, mate. Yeah, did you how about get yourself? Well, well, I got up this morning and I thought I, I, I might just, uh, you know, do some work around the house. I might sweep away some troubles around the kitchen. I might sweep <laughs> away some troubles around the lounge room. And then I thought, you know what? I thought I'd better put the broom away because the sweep ain't working. What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Gideon Hay, I think, said it, you know, best. And this was the last test where, you know, proactive morphs into hyperactive. And you can't help but feel that. Travis Head's innings the night before lured us into this false sense of, you know, maybe getting them before they get us. Let's go out, play our shots. On a wicket where we were ahead, and we very rarely get into a position where we're ahead against the Indians. And I think there's enough cricket intellect in that change room to realise that if someone had trusted their forward defence, which is a saying that goes around a lot, and batted a bit more time, batted with a bit more diligence, understood that it wasn't a wicket. Listening to Jadeja, watching the way Pajara batted, watching the way that Virat Kohli batted, none of them, all of them refused to sweep. You know, they knew it wasn't a wicket to sweep on because of the low bounce. Um, so it was quite disappointing um, to see the way that the Australians went, went about that batting innings. 
is it one thing to have a plan? I mean, it was a clear plan, right? Is it one thing to have a plan, but then surely don't you have to have plan B, plan C, plan D? You go through some of the great Australian teams of past and they always made sure that they had the backup plan. So at some stage in that second innings, Australia must have worked out the sweep wasn't working, which is fair enough. If you've got your plan and it doesn't work, that's fine. But they didn't appear to have a plan B. Is that what you saw? Uh, yeah, it just seemed... There was there was just far too many shots getting out to the sweep. Now, they would have had... And the, the, the thing that was distressing for me was they would have had a whole night to plan and think about it, which I think stumps came at a great time for India a couple of nights ago and at a bad time for Australia. Head just seemed to have gotten into a groove and doing what he seemed to do well for us all summer in Australia and counterpunch. And then for, for whatever reason, I think... India India bowled most of the time with backward square leg up inside the ring. So the sweep would have created a lot of value if you could get it there. But it's exactly what the Indians wanted us to do. And there was a picture before the game started. It was Ashwin, Jadeja and Aksar Patel and three coaches out there basically discussing a plan. And, and then listening to, the, to Jadeja talk at the end, he said, I know these guys are going to try and be proactive. I'm going to keep my plan as simple as possible not react to their proactivity, but know that if I keep hitting the stumps, I'm going to have success. And that's all it was. So, Socky, we ended up losing nine for 48 in the second uh, second innings. Nine in 91 minutes. That's a collapse for the ages, mate. It is, particularly given the situation we're in. And it's so hard to get ahead in India. I mean, we were one run ahead overnight, albeit just that very one run. But we were ahead. And knowing that India had to bat last on that pitch, so... I'm extremely disappointed with the cricket intellect in that room. There were six, I think, six dismissals out to the sweep shot that, you know, we're now joking is going to be a pun of that Australian team. They were trying to be proactive and felt like they needed to get ahead of the game by scoring quickly. But, you know, in the successes that they've had in the subcontinent in the past, it's about being wearing the opposition down. And, and at this game, it just seemed that Australia were in a rush to try and get to 200, which I think would have been a great score. Instead, one for 61, nine in 91 minutes, as you talked about. And we went from a really winnable leading position into one that we knew, or the Australians knew, I think, in the back of their mind, that 113 just wasn't going to be enough. So you know what it's like to be in that dressing room. You know what it's like to be there in the thick of it. And you know what it's like to look around and see that cricket intellect. It's not as though you lose your intellect on a day, do you? I mean, it, you make bad decisions. So what's... The talk, do you reckon? What do you, what do you think was going on in that dressing room after the day's play? Look, I think that's the most frustrating part, Matt, is that, that they would have had a whole night to think about it and come up with a plan. And I think uh, the Travis Head, the way that he went about it the night before, being really proactive, playing his shots, you know, with the summer that he's had and I've already mentioned, I think Lewis the rest into thinking this is the way we need to do it. We need to score to run a ball. We need to be aggressive. We need to take them on. Um, and I don't think it was the wicket in which you wanted to play cross-batted shots. Pajara showed it. Virat Kohli, their whole uh, top order, Rohit Sharma, showed that you can you can still score runs and turn over the strike by either using your feet and playing straight. And I was just so surprised that it was a procession of sweep shots. Carey, who went to it in the first innings and got out to it. Matthew Renshaw... You know, they talk about they talk about bullets. You know, balls with their name on it. You know, to use a wartime pun, and I think you know, Matty Renshaw must have been dreaming with a bullet with his name inscribed on it. You know, he's he's just at the moment nowhere with his batting, unfortunately, and um, the batting collapse. 
is just something we've just come accustomed to. And I just would have thought with the likes of Smith and Lubbershane and, and having that night to think about the game that we could have come up with a better plan. Dig in, bat longer. Know that every ball is a contest. And if you survive it and bat long and deeper and take this game out, this wicket is going to deteriorate. We have two young spinners in Coonham and in Murphy who would have loved the opportunity to bowl at 200. Imagine the confidence that would have given those two young guys and the belief that would have given those two young guys going into the game three and four after a long break that the Aussies have now, knowing that it's 1-1 in a series. Instead, I start to get this feeling that a bit of scar tissue is starting to de- develop again against India. And it, it's not a gap anymore between Australia and India. It's starting to turn into a chasm. So confidence has got to be a problem. I mean, Ashton Agar's done nothing over there and been completely overlooked. So you'd think he'd be better off coming back here and getting some Sheffield Shield game under his belt. You spoke about Matt Renshaw. We know that David Warner's not going to be there for the rest of the series. Mitchell Stark will be coming back. Josh Hazelwood's still sitting around. Cameron Green's sitting around. So who's, who stays and, and, and who goes for the next test? Yeah, look, I, I'm really surprised about Ashton Agar. I went back and watched his 14 overs in the Australian test. And I know a lot of people have come out and, and, and said, oh, he didn't bowl well enough. I, I thought his bowling was really good in Sydney in a game where only, you know, there were three wickets, uh, three or four wickets tops to spinners. And, and something must have gone wrong with the way that he's bowling over there for him to be overlooked because he's a great fielder, a good batter, and I think would have been a great all-round addition. And that's nothing to take away from Matt Coonham. And so I was surprised at that selection. What they do with him, I'm uncertain now. Um, they do need that spinning depth over there. We've seen how easy it is for people to get injured. Um, and I do think at times over the next two tests, we may need three spinners. But look, hey, Mitchell Stark, I think will be fit. I hope he'll be fit. And Cameron Green comes back into the side. Um, so they're two really big inclusions for Australia, not only because of their own reputations, but being a left armer, Mitchell Stark will create a bit more rough for our right arm offies in Murphy and Nathan Lyon. And, and of course, the airspeed that we talk about in India, if the ball does start to reverse and, and Cameron Green showed his wares um, with the ball and, and also in the bat in the subcontinent. I think he's been really impressive when he's been able to tour Asia so far. So, look, they've got 10 days. I hope they just switch off, enjoy some of the culture, enjoy some of the food. India is a beautiful place. And then about, you know, three or four days out, they put their heads down and they come out fighting and show that resilience that they did for three quarters of that game um, in the last test. Just one final question, because I was going to ask you about the Socky fix. I mean, they got the 10 days, but you've just delivered it there. Go out and experience the culture and, and get away from cricket. Just on the, on the issue of then the captaincy of Pat Cummins, obviously when, when, when results like this start to happen, the captain comes into the frame. Now, he's going to be there for a long time. We know that, and I think that's only his third loss as test skipper of Australia. But what does this do for his confidence, and what has he got to do in terms of trying to not listen to the noise but at least listen to the experts. How do you tread that fine line if you're Paddy Cummins? Yes, I mean, it's ruthless, isn't it, at the top. Um, the Australian captaincy is, is uh, you know, it would keep me up at night. I, I think one of the great things about Paddy is he's a very pragmatic, he's a sensible guy, and I don't think he listens too much. I think after the first test, there was a lot of noise around that team, but I don't imagine that would have reflected the way that he would have approached his team members in that squad. I think he's got a really good holistic view of where cricket sits in his life and that team, and he wants to win. There's no doubt about it. I think a lot of the senior players, including himself, realise the importance of that tour. 
So for him, it would be go back, look, you know, look backwards in cricket. You know, it's always about looking forward to the next ball, the next contest. But to do that, you need to look backwards. And I think Paddy will reflect on that. I think the way he handled the two young spinners was amazing. You know, they both looked like they'd been and played 30, 40 tests in the subcontinent. And that's because they've got strong leadership. Um, and they're strong leaders all around that group. So, you know, look, the series is gone, but there's so much to be gained out of the next two. We were so close in this last test, and they're the things that I'll be in betting on. They've had moments. India, seven for 140. They put on 100 runs, get a lead. Um, and then Australia at one for 60. So there's moments in the game where you're thinking, geez, we, we can actually do this. We, we, we're right in the contest. If we just get our noses a bit further ahead, we're going to win this game. So they have to embed on those points, and that's what will keep them ticking over into the next couple of games. And hopefully a win. Hopefully we stay at number one in the Test Nation rankings, and, and it looks like we may eventually play India uh, potentially uh, in that final uh, down the line. Good on you, Sock. Thanks for your time this morning. Good on you, Matty. Have a good breakfast, mate. Cheers. Yes, uh, those comments from Stephen O'Keefe, I think, were very apt. It went from proactive to hyperactive, and that's a team that's essentially losing its cool along the way, and a lot of people are pointing the finger towards the coach's box for that, and I'll get to that in just a sec. Here's one we haven't discussed this morning, and thank you for this, Jody from the lake. Uh, well, what looked like being a great weekend for Sale GP soon became a disaster on Saturday afternoon with the storm completely destroying the boat park. I'm sure most of our listeners would have seen the vision. If you didn't, take a look. Um, they had they were hoisting the boat out of the water, and that was when the massive storm that hit Sydney really hit full force, and it was it was very very ugly and very very dangerous. Gutted that we couldn't see the boats out again on Sunday. Such a shame as the racing on Saturday was insane, says Jody. Anyway, looks like I'll need to follow the cricket for a while. And in brackets, I still must be hungover. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> wow. I guess there has to be some question, Jody. I mean, in all honesty, because it was a freak storm. But as you well know, when it comes to sailing at that level and sail GP at that level, these guys know when a puff of wind is coming around the corner at zero out of 10 degrees. I mean, they know everything down to the nth when it comes to the weather. So nobody checked the weather forecast when they decided to hoik the boats out of the water. My neighbour came out to me 10 minutes before that and said, you know, it's going to rain because his dog had curled up underneath the toilet because of the thunderstorm that was coming. So the, <laughs> the old ESP was kicking in there, yet these guys with millions of dollars, multi-millions at their disposal, didn't see that one coming. And it was, it was really bad. Um, and a pity. I agree with you, Jody, that it's a pity that they didn't get back out and the flow-on effects pretty uh, pretty heavy as well. Good morning, Matty. As always, a great show. Thank you, Juan, who says I'm back for 2023. And on a couple of points regarding the preseason trials, all I look for is effort, defensive patterns and 1% efforts. Also get a good look at these youngsters. I'm very optimistic about 2023. And if Tom goes down, KO Weeks can play. So Juan, obviously the Manly fan. Also regarding the cricket, the women's netball have more pride and ticker. We can all see why they got rid of JL was to run their boys club. Manly top six this year. Juan the Eagle, thank you uh, for that. My quick fix for the cricketers says Filthy is swap them with the women's team. Well, the women's team are going gangbusters at the World Cup and they defeated South Africa by six wickets. So they're four from four, 21 balls left and they're going gangbusters. Um, what, you know, what do you put your finger on here for what Australia did? And I just keep going back to the fact that their plan that they had 
was the wrong plan. So that's one thing. But when do you go to plan B and how do you enact plan B? Um, better minds than mine will work that one out. 0457 736 736 is the open uh, the text number. James Tedesco says this texter didn't even look like he wanted to be on the field. Not what I saw. Matty, good win from your mob. Soak it up because it's going to be your trophy or cash for a long time. Seabold is going to buckle. Um, so that's the old don't take too much into what happens in the trials and the preseason because it's going to be interesting to see. I, that, that could be, I mean, obviously with, you know, what I want to see and what I'll be looking forward to in, in round one, but I reckon that could be a ripper of a game, Manly v. the Bulldogs. Um, the Bulldogs got towed up by the Sharks yesterday out there at Belmore, but we, you can see that things are changing. And at Manly, you can see that things are changing. How it's going to end, don't know. And that's one of the great points about it. Here's the news. Ashwin over the wicket to Smith. Oh, across the line and got through onto the pad. He's out, LBW. Ashwin strikes for a second time on day three. Smith just missed it. And he gets through Labashane. Keeps low, crashes into off stump. That is the big wicket. Ashwin the finish here. Renshaw sweeps, misses, shout, gone. Finger went up with the appeal. Renshaw was committed to the stroke. Ashwin beat him in flight. Jadeja to It's the slip. Hanscom's gone for a duck. Jadeja does it again. The collapse is well and truly on. Bowls here. Swings and he's bowled. Knocked over. Tried to sweep. Win it at hard. Had his off stump bent back. Jadeja's on a hat trick. Australia is 7 for 95. They've lost 4 for none. And there have been wickets from the last three balls in this test match. And we're not long for this test match, Harsha Bogley. This is ending quickly. Yeah, Adam Collins, Jared Waitley there with the call. And, of course, uh, we didn't get to hear Harsha's thoughts on that because it happened so quickly. But the collapse was astronomical. I mean, Travis Head and Marnus Labashane. Marnus with 35 and Head with 43. Head went in the first over with a, a snick, a uh, rather large edge on the outside of the bat. And then it just fell. Everything fell. Nine wickets in total on that day fell for 48 runs. Nine in 91 minutes. And nine of the 11 Australian batsmen failed to get past single figures. It's a scorecard that you would hope they would stick up in the team meeting and focus a heck of a lot on, not to mention the fact that sweeping wasn't the option for the day. James from Hornsby is on the open line. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. You just heard the, the fall... The, the, the collapse there, what about the fallout, James? What are your thoughts? Oh, I'm actually a bit annoyed now with you playing that bloody clip <laughs> again. You've been bad enough watching it yesterday. God, Monday morning and you're playing it again for us? Oh, no, Please, sorry, mate, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, my thing is, where is, where is, if this supposed to be our elite cricketers, why not look at them and say, well, the Indians aren't sweeping. Why are we? Their seventh partner, seventh wicket partnership made 114 by playing straight. Why don't we? You know, when everyone says, oh, when opposition's come here to Australia and they play on the Wacker or um, the Gabba, they're all bouncy wickets, pitch the ball up. Oh, no, all the pace bowlers, they're all getting excited at a bouncy wicket. And then we, we blitz them because their bowlers aren't following what the Australian bowlers are doing. Mm. So why aren't our Australian batsmen batting like they are? You know, they're too keen to get a quick fire 40 off 25 balls. Oh, aren't I good? I, I've got a strike rate 150 instead of getting 100 off for 250 balls. Mm. And going, no, I'm going to work, stay here. And as, what was it, their captain of India said, 
Oh, yeah, the first session of every day is really good for the bowlers. And we know we knew if we just hang, hang in there, the next two sessions will make runs. So why didn't they do that? Why didn't they say, no, we'll just plug here. We've got two days. Let's bat for a day and a half. Even if we get, you know, 150 more runs in a day and a half, who cares? We've then got our bowlers. We've got the runs up. We get the wickets up in the second two sessions. Now, I'm only a little old grade cricket, you know, B-grade cricket from years back. I can work that out. Even yeah. the missus, she can work it out. Why can't these so-called coaches and expertise work it out? The commentators are working it out. Why don't they listen to the commentators and go, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Didn't think of that. Well, they will that's listen. I, I reckon they'll... No yeah, no, no. I reckon they'll they'll listen. It's an interesting one, what you say about the commentators. Um I mean, there's a very, it's a very simple answer to that. They're not going to listen to that kind of stuff throughout the game. And if they do, it'll muddle your head. But listen, I, I reckon every single point you've made there, James, is a valid point that most people are making this morning. And the biggest question is why? Why continue to do something that clearly wasn't working? It's just that simple. And you ask the question, why were we sweeping when India weren't? We'll go back to, I'm not sure if you tuned in earlier because I dug out the, the figures in the second innings, India's sweep shot percentage was 1.3%. Australia's was 10.7%. So take a look at that. This is a game that just works, especially at the high performance level, with a whole stack of statistics. You see the commentary, you see the coach's box, and all you see is laptops. And I wonder, to one of your questions there, the answer maybe why is when they play to these statistical strategies, are they playing to the game or are they playing to the spreadsheet? Because the spreadsheet clearly told them, let's go out and sweep. Now, it may not it may not have, right? It might have just been a gut feel. But I'm tipping that it was more than likely the statistical data that they've worked out. You know what? Our best chance here is to go out and sweep these guys on a low-spinning Indian wicket. Go figure. But that's what they clearly they came up with. Now... That figure alone should tell you that the spreadsheet's wrong. Don't do it. 10.7% versus one point. If the, if the Indians aren't going at higher than 1.3% in sweep shot percentage, why on earth would we? Especially when it's not built into our system. You raised some really good points, James, and I appreciate them. Thank you for that. That's going to be the biggest question, isn't it? Why? Um, it's a fair bet that the third test starting on the 1st of March, so what, 10 days' time in indoor, uh, I would suggest that there's going to be very, very few sweep shots played by the Australians. But it's a really good question. I mean, Steve Smith, the guy averages 60 in test cricket, an absolute genius of the game. Now, you'd back him to sweep anyone. You'd back him to sweep the best in the world. And at the moment, Jadeja is knocking him flat. So he makes the call. You go, hmm, okay, fair enough. That's Steve Smith. I mean, chances are he might come out in the next game and get 100, 150. The guy's a freak. So there's one that you can kind of go, all right, if there's one bloke in particular who you're going to back with a sweep shot, I'd be backing Steve Smith. Then Matt Renshaw sweeping to Jadeja. But you've got to remember that by now they've gone from three for 85 to four for 85, and now they're five for 95. So troubles ahead. Matt Renshaw comes out in the thick of you know Wattsville. Is the sweep shot the right shot to play? Statistically, no. In the in the state of the game, no. In the form, possibly that he's about to sh- no. 
So he's gone. Two wickets later, they're in even more you-know-whatsville. Because five for 95 becomes six for 95. Pat Cummins tries a sweep shot for the ages. He's gone seven. Seven for 95. Three, four, five, six, seven. All gone without a run scored. And then Alex Carey comes in reverse sweep, please. Then Matt Kuhneman, not a batter. No way near a batter. On debut, reverse sweep. Gone. <laughs> so I think these are all valid questions. The, the jump up and down reaction to this, I think, is fueled by the fact when you hear people like Alan Border, and Alan Border's take on it to me was the interesting one. Heels this morning on breakfast here and in Queensland was very strong on this and, and trying to wrap his head around it as well. And also pointed out the difference between sweeping on a spinning deck versus a low spinning deck. And if it's something that you've practised and worked out before you get there, then go for it. But was it? Not sure. Is it something that Australian batters are absolutely used to? Not really. However, when you listen to somebody like AB, former Australian captain, a man who lives and breathes this game and knows what, what, it, what it means to stand and put up a fight in a smart way, here's what he had to say. I'm disappointed, I'm shell shocked, angry about uh, the way we went about our work today. Panic? Did they panic? It was panicky, frenetic sort of batting. I mean, no one sort of got in there and tried to sort of stem the flow with just some good defensive cricket. You know, they were all just getting out, playing sweep shots, reverse sweeps, playing shots to just about every ball. And you just can't get away with that on that sort of track. You've got to have a method where you, you, you're playing within your limitations really grossly. You're not playing on a flat belter mm. where you can expand your game. You're playing on a really difficult surface. You've got to work out where your scoring options are. Now, I've never played for Australia. I've never captained Australia. I haven't played in India. I haven't played against them. But Alan Border has. And he's angry about it. Poor, You know, they go to work and they're just not putting in with those kind of shots and those kind of selections. So that's the kind of thing that grabbed me this morning. And they're the reasons why, or they're some of the reasons why, Australia needs to have a really good think about this because there could be more disaster ahead in the third test. Let's talk tennis on this Monday morning with Brett Phillips, host of the first serve, which you can catch tonight, 8 o'clock for our Sydney listeners, 7pm for our Queensland listeners. Good morning to you, BP. Good morning uh, to you, Manny. Uh, Aussie victories over the weekend, so there's a little spring in the step uh, this morning. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about it. So Thanasi Kokonakis and Max Purcell both had wins. Yeah, both on the Challenger Tour. So this is where you've got to do some really hard yards. You know, Max was in Chennai and Thanasi was in Bahrain over the weekend. And they, they had to roll up the sleeves and, and get the job done. And this is what we want our Aussies to do now. We, we want to get that big batch of players between 100 and 200, a bigger crop into uh, double digits in the rankings. So I think we, we feel, you know, no doubt Thanasi is a 50 to 100 player had that really tough loss to Andy Murray, obviously, at the Australian Open, and uh, obviously didn't defend all these points in Adelaide at the start of the year. So he slipped back a few pegs, but he can quickly get this ranking back, and he's back to an even 100, as we uh, talked this morning. And if he, um, you know, continues this nice little stretch and the body looks good, uh, you know, he's he's playing very, very good tennis, Kokonakis, uh, you know, he should be able to really improve that ranking. So, yeah, really good win in Bahrain. And for Max Purcell, I mean, great win Wimbledon last year. That was fantastic. But he's only 24. 
and the focus now is on the singles. And he plays a different game, a bit of cat and mouse. He takes the pace off. He's a bit quirky, uh, Max. We love him. And he's got high ambitions to get inside the top 100. I'll never forget Nathan Healy. He might be listening to 11.70 about this morning because he's a he's a Gosford uh, man, uh, Nathan Healy. And he said on the first serve last year, I've got no doubt Max Purcell can be a top 20 player, which I nearly fell wow. off my chair. But that's the sort of talent he's got. And he's at a career-high 155. So... Nice steps for both on the weekend. Just a a quick one on both of those then, and you've seen this time and time again. So what's the step, what's the missing piece, do you reckon, in Thanasi's game to make him, let's say, top 50, and Max's game top 50, and and given that they're at different stages of their career? Yeah, so I I think for Thanasi, there's no doubt he's got all the tools, and that's what took him at a really young age up to about, I think, 69 was his career high, beats Federer in Miami. He can serve big, he can hit a big forehand, but he needs more than that. And I think the body's now in a position where it can go the journey and play tough three-set matches. And what I liked watching the stream this week is he is prepared to really dig in. And I, I don't think I've always said that about Thanasi, that he's prepared to dig in. And that's not to say he's wavered the white flag, but there's different levels of digging in, if you know what I mean, Matt. Mm. So, you know, he's got to go to that next level in terms of winning those really tough matches because he's got all the firepower but he's got to match it with the work ethic week after week after week. For Max, look, he he's a freakish talent. And it's, sometimes it's just belief that you actually belong because he can he can rip winners like I've never seen. And then he can just play this game of guile and just beautiful finesse and touch. So he's got all the makings of being a really good player. I hope he can you know, really gain that belief because he, he can go further. Carlos Alcaraz uh, comes back and wins the Argentina Open and uh, Iga Sviantec. So, as we know, she uh, bailed out in, what, round four at the Oz Open. She wins in Qatar. Mm. And dropped five games for the week, Iga. So, <laughs> she beats Pagula. Pagula, uh, what was it, 11-2 uh, in, in about an hour. And Pagula's the world number four. So there's a big goal still for Iga. Yes, look, fell short at the Aussie Open. She's not going to win every major she plays, but uh, back on tour at these events. And when she won this event last year, Matt, this is what took her on that 37-match winning streak. So we'll see if she can uh, do a carbon copy. And for Carlos, I mean, just we've missed him. We've simply missed the young man from Spain, 19. He goes to uh, Buenos Aires, uh, the capital of Argentina this week. Full house, great setting, the great Gabriela Sabatini courtside and Gustavo Quint and a few others. And he just played sublime tennis. Beat Cam Norrie uh, today and he wants to get back that number one ranking. I think he's, what, 590 points-wise behind Djokovic with the new rankings out today. He'll go and defend his title in Rio this coming week. And the South Americans absolutely love him because he is just magnificent on the court and just the way he embraces everything off the court. So it's good to have him back on the tour. And he's 19. What's coming up on the show tonight? Yeah, plenty uh, plenty of, uh, obviously, uh, raps around the world. But uh, Heath Davidson, um, often in the shadow of uh, Dylan Alcott, is a really great wheelchair player in Australia. He's going to be in the studio for pretty much the second hour. And we'll just be here, there and everywhere, Matt. And plenty of calls to uh, let's get behind the Aussies. We want to raise the bar of where they should be. So I'd love people's uh, analysis on that after uh, eight tonight. Good man. Have a good show tonight. Thank you, Matt. Brett Phillips there, host of The First Serve. So you'll catch that on the SEN network tonight. Yeah, interesting, isn't it? See where 
where Thanasi Kokonakis can get his game back to um, with all the tools in the kit bag and Max Purcell, freakish talent, but both winners on the Challenger series on the ATP tournament. Uh, we're approaching eight minutes to 11 o'clock for our Sydney listeners, eight to 10 for those in Queensland. Plenty of time for your texts as well. And we'll also talk basketball in our next hour with Kane Pittman from ESPN. Just a quick text here from Rodney Cummins and others wanted to be responsible uh, for their own actions and not have a coach, but a manager, E.G. McDonald, wondering how that's working out as individuals. Like it or not, Langer was a coach, not their friend. Who's laughing now, says Macca. Uh, thank you for that, Macca. Let's take a break. More of those coming. Uh, this text has just come in. Maddie. I've got a theory. After the first test loss, all of the Indian media said it's going to be a clean sweep. So do you think the Aussies took it the wrong way and actually thought their game plan was to sweep? <laughs> you never know. You never know. A couple of others. Uh, Matt from Brizzy. Uh, I'm a horrible park cricketer, but I was always taught to play your first 20 runs in the V. You're not going to um, hit a sweep shot into the V. Well, the first 20 would have been good, wouldn't it? Well, ten, double figures, Matt, would have been good for those outside of, uh, if your name wasn't Labashane or Head, double figures would have been good. Matty, as bad as Sweepgate was, is it It's already Sweepgate? Thank you, Paul. As bad as Sweepgate was, I think the Aussies lost the test in our first bowling uh, innings, not finishing the tail off. We should have had a lead by at least 70, if not 100, had him on toast. That's a very good point too. Very good point. Hard to have faith in anyone involved with the Aussie test team at the moment. Erratic selection policy leads to massive uncertainty. Uh, in the players. Doesn't seem as if anyone is taking responsibility because, in inverted commas, we stuck to our processes. Bit of a bad joke, unfortunately, says Mike. Uh, A lot of people have a lot of strong thoughts around this and also plenty of thoughts, too, on the pre-season challenge. So your takeaway from the pre-season challenge, can we wrap it up in the final hour of the program? Julian King will be in with afternoons and then we've got Joel and the Professor for the run home, the Savo, but... We've got another hour together after the news. Can we wrap up the preseason challenge? Your takeaway, have you got a rock-solid top eight? Have you got a smoky? And who impressed you the most in the last two weeks? Could have even been somebody from St Helens. Could have been from outside of the box. Let us know. We can continue that uh, conversation coming up after our next news break with Vanessa. Then a very busy run home. Kane Pittman to talk basketball as well. Yes, welcome back. Final hour of the program. We'll talk basketball soon. So the grand final series is locked in in the NBL. It will be the Sydney Kings and the New Zealand Breakers. So that'll be the best of five game series. And uh, that will decide the title. And the first one will be game one, Friday, March 3 at Kudos Bank Arena in Sydney. So can the Kings go back to back or can the Breakers win their first since 2015? 2016 was the last time they were in the... uh, Grand final decider. Plenty of your thoughts still, obviously, on the text line about the Australia v India situation and, in particular, what Australia does next with the next test starting in 10 days' time. David Warner out. Um, Cameron Green, as you may have heard there in the news, Heels saying that's a good in if he's good to go. And then what happens then? Matt Renshaw probably goes out. Mitchell Stark will be available. So, first of all, the review that they'll be doing needs to take place, and then they've got to look towards what happens next for Test 3. But the series is done. So four Test series and the Border Gavaskar Trophy is done. Um, I don't know if you caught any of the England v New Zealand Test match 
over in New Zealand, but it was pretty fascinating. The other night I was actually switching around and it's a day-night test, pink ball, Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad going nuts, moving it around, knocking the top of off. So it was pretty fascinating stuff. An India series, a series in India is always going to be different. It can be quite dour, very, very different um, spectacle all round. But as I was switching over, I was, I was actually drawn more towards, and this wasn't last night, it was the night before, I was drawn more towards what was going on with the moving pink ball under lights. New Zealand didn't have a clue what was going on. England were just on the charge. It was pretty incredible stuff. Some snap judgments that we did earlier this morning. And I want your answer on this one, especially for our Queensland listeners. When do the Dolphins get their first win of the season? When's it most likely? So they drew with the Cowboys in game one of the preseason challenge. They lost to the Gold Coast last night, 40 points to 16. I'm not sure what the expectations are of the league on the Dolphins in 2023 because it's been so long since we've had a new team enter the competition. But they've got the Roosters in the first round, and that's at Suncorp. They've got the Raiders in the second round at home at Redcliffe, so at their other home at Redcliffe. In round three, they've got the Newcastle Knights in Newcastle. Round four, they're back at Suncorp against the Broncos. And as Matty Johns pointed out earlier this morning, Selwyn Cobbo, boy, if he's trying to make amends with Kevy Walters, he's doing it the right way. And then round five, they've got the Dragons in Wollongong. So when do you reckon the Dolphins get their first win and how do they get there? One of the snap judgments that I'd like you to put a bow around this morning. 0457 736 736 is the number. The Manly Seagulls put out a good fight and they win $100,000. They win two from two. So the perfect start under Anthony Seabold, what they did on Friday night against the Roosters, got a lot of people taking notice, but it's only a trial. So are they the real deal and where do they spend the cash? And then the preseason itself. So I've got the final hour to discuss this one as well as Sharks coach Craig Fitzgibbon said about the offloads. So you get 10 offloads in a match, you get a bonus point. Score the uh, certain amount of tries, you get a bonus point. So bonus points come into it. It makes it a little bit exciting. As Craig Fitzgibbon said, the thought behind it's great because you want to see footy play, but how is an offload more entertaining than a normal pass? I'm not sure. If you looked at a metric of winning, do offloads win games? So why are we awarding it as a win? I don't get it. Exciting to watch, he said, but it's not going to, it's not what's going to happen in the rounds. So why is that the deciding metric? As in the decider of whether or not you win, it's not whether you win the game, but whether you get the bonus points to win the overall prize, which is a hundred grand. I think he's got some really good points. So I think we all agree that it was a bit of a gimmick. It was a little bit of a sideshow. I've had my say that if you're going to do it, do it properly. Don't give us a number on the screen that then has to be justified by the next day from the NRL boffins who <laughs> then say, ah, actually, it was 10 offloads, not nine, or it was nine offloads, not eight. We want to know now. Technology's here. Bingo. Send it to your phone or get rid of it. However, let me pose this question for you. So we're out of the gimmicks that we saw. What's one do you think that would be worth putting in? What would be entertaining? Because Craig Fitzgibbon says, how's an offload more entertaining than a normal pass? And it's a good question. It was quite funny to see some of the offloads trying to take place and those that aren't used to it because it was a bit chaotic in the end. So what is more entertaining and what is the next gimmick, do you think, that you would 
be happy to see or you want to see that you'd put on the table in a discussion with the NRL to say, hey, if you're going to do this, why don't we try that? I can't think of any off the top of the head, so help me. 0457 736 736. Like I say, bonus points and all that are great, but if you're keeping a running tally, you've got to know what the tally is. Otherwise, it's very hard to stay engaged. Is there something else? Is there a, a try that's worth more if you score it in the first minute or the second, uh, the, the last minute of the half? I don't know. Is there something that we could do that's right in front of us that we don't have to have an abacus next to us to keep count of it? Back to the cricket. And Kane Pittman's going to join me soon in the NBL to talk NBL. But back to the cricket. A couple of thoughts from ex-players around what's going on here and what happened and, and why on earth couldn't they stop this sweep-a-thon that was going on, especially when it was going pear-shaped. Here's what Brendan Julian had to say this morning on this network. Well, there's no way, Brandy, that they're going to be saying something during this match. There's no way that they would do that. There's no way that Andrew McDonald during the match when they're four for 50 or, or, or whatever they are, saying, yeah. boys, boys, don't play that way. There's no way they'll do that. You know, It's not going to interrupt in the middle of a, of a situation of the game where they're suddenly going to change the game plan because they all believe that they stuck to it. I mean... I was even amazed that they brought Travis Head back into the sides of the second test match because basically what they should have done is admitted their mistake and owned it. Now, they've got to yes. get out and do the same thing after this collapse as well and say, mate, well, it was just ridiculous the way that we played. But it's yes. very hard for a guy like Andrew McDonald, who's the coach, um, and, and the batting staff who haven't played 100 test matches, to turn around and say to Steve Smith and to Alex Carey and to this guy, boys, you're playing the wrong way. <laughs> so that's asked about, you know, at what stage does Andrew McDonald st- sort of step in here as coach and say, wait, hang on a second. And as BJ is saying, there's no way he's going he's gonna to do that. But if this is a game plan and it's a clear game plan, a game plan, do you not say, hey, we better think about plan B? And whether that comes from the coach, the captain, the test batter and somebody like Steve Smith, I, I don't know where it comes from. How do you arrest something like that when the when it's going on in the middle of it? I don't know. But the great teams adapt and the great teams change. And if the great teams can't work out that sweeping is not working, then they're going to struggle to be a great team. However, on the perspective side of things, I think that's – is that third loss now for – Paddy Cummins, third or fourth loss as, as captain. There ain't many. But a series in India is a very, very different series. So the third test starts Wednesday, March 1. You'll hear it right here on SEN. And don't forget, to our Bryden's Lawyers, your verdict competition. You pick one NRL winner each week for your chance to win $2,500. Go to sensurvivor.com.au. Let's talk basketball now. The NBL final series. So we're into the decider. The best of five game series for the title. Sydney Kings looking to go back to back. New Zealand Breakers will be there. On the line from ESPN is Kane Pittman. Good morning, Kane. Is this the outcome that you thought heading to the final series? It is. It is. These are the two best teams that have been in the competition all season long. And I think if you're a neutral, you should be excited because this could be a, a really good series. They could go the distance. So what did you make out of uh, the, the Kings on their way through and defeating the Cairns Taipans and obviously the Breakers taking out the Jack Jumpers? Let's start with the Kings first. Yeah, it was an interesting series. And I think that there were a number of people within the Kings organisation that were pretty relieved once this series was done because the Cairns Taipans gave them everything they could handle. And really, that they did so despite being 
seriously shorthanded with key players out of the lineup, players battling through some stuff uh, during this series. But their ability to just stay within touching distance of the Kings throughout Game 3 yesterday had Sydney feeling very, very nervous. But in the end, uh, it was the firepower of the Kings' offense, and particularly DJ Vasiljevic that was able to put that game away. But the Kansai fans and New Zealand Breakers are very, very different teams, so it will be a different series. But that series against the Kansai fans was Sydney trying to score in the paint, in transition, at the rim, and the Taipan shooting a lot of threes. And in the end, uh, the numbers favoured the Kings. Mm. So the New Zealand Breakers, we, we know, you know, they've been there before. The Kings going for back-to-back, but it's the first time in, what, seven years now since the Breakers have been this deep and first time since eight years, I think, the last time they won it. So what can they deliver? Yeah, and it's been a remarkable turnaround. They were right at the bottom of the table last year, and we know the last two years they didn't play at home virtually at all for the last two yeah. seasons due to COVID. They were based in Melbourne uh, in an apartment building in the Docklands, and I, I went there, and I can tell you it didn't look like a place that you'd, you'd want to live for the entire season. So they, <laughs> they've been through it. This is a club that has been through it, and uh, now with Modi Mayor, new head coach, three new imports that they absolutely nailed. They, they have been stars in the league. Uh, this season, they've found a defensive approach to the number one defense in the league, and they are super, super physical. At the start of the season, the Breakers spoke about wanting to bring the New Zealand culture back to this team and be a hard-nosed team and a physical team and a team that the opposition did not want to face, and they've done that. But I remember at the start of the season asking those guys around the team, and they weren't sure. They weren't really sure what type of season they were going to have. I think they thought that this was a a big-picture approach to see how the Breakers can get back to being a successful club over the next three to four seasons. So it's certainly come earlier than expected, uh, but they have been, behind the Sydney Kings, the number one challenger, really, from the start of the season. So this is uh, going to be a battle. They've played three times through the season. The Breakers did win one of those games recently towards the back end of January. So uh, I'm anticipating that this is going to be a series that goes four or five games for sure. Wow. Is it going to be fiery? Gee, we've seen some emotion on the on the sidelines. Yeah, oh, I think it will. I think it will because both teams, uh, like I said, they, if you thought the Cairns Taipan series was physical and a little bit chippy, I think this is going to go up another couple of notches. And the one thing we know about the Sydney Kings is they don't mind mixing it up a little bit. They like to talk. Xavier, Kick, uh, Xavier Cooks likes to talk. So does DJ Fasevich. These guys don't take a, a backward step. And I'm very certain there is going to be some pretty entertaining banter on social media between the Kings and the Breakers as well because they're two of the best in the business when it comes to that. So, yeah, I think it's going to be fiery on the court. I think it'll be fiery off the court. Uh, and, and again, I, I just think that this is the perfect result. Mm. Where's it won or lost then? I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the five-game series, but where do you think the, the championship is won or lost? Yeah, it'll be really interesting because the Kings play at the fastest pace in the league and the Breakers the second slowest. So this is two kind of contrasting styles. The Breakers' offense was only ranked number five in the league, so it's not a strong suit. And they might have struggled to get by the jack jumpers if it wasn't for Barry Brown Jr., who went absolutely nuts off the bench with 32 points yesterday. So I think that the Kings do have the advantage in terms of their ability to score. So the question for the Breakers will be, can they slow this down? Can they turn this into a a real dour, slow-paced, half-court battle because then they'll find themselves in the chance if they can in the game if they can lower the scores of this series. The problem that they found earlier in a couple of games that they played is that Xavier Cooks went on an absolute tear. The Kings were able to play fast. They were able to get easy baskets in transition and that's where the problems will be for the Breakers. So I think that's, that's how the Breakers can keep this a series. Slow it down, 
and turn it into a half-court battle. Yeah, and it's fascinating, isn't it? You mentioned Barry Brown Jr. So those 32 points, that's a third of the breakers' points overall. They, <laughs> they won 92-77. He scores 32 of the 92, just away from the final series. So some word around that Brian Gorgian may be heading back or being linked to the NBL, coming on back with the South East Melbourne Phoenix. But he says he's focused on making Asia a part of this domestic league over here. So can you see a return from Gorge or do you think he's he's going to stay what he's doing what he's doing? Yeah, I, I'm not surprised that any team that's looking for a head coach would try and give Gorge a call. That is the, one of the first calls you should be making. But I remember talking to, to Gorge about this specifically last year when it looked like the Phoenix maybe were looking for a new head coach. And he said that the, he, he did not see... A challenge. He wants a personal challenge, which, as you pointed to for him right now, is building the link between the Asian basketball and the Australian basketball and the, the Super League that they have going on over there. So when I asked him specifically about the Phoenix, he said, this is a franchise that's already been around for a couple of years now. I'm not building something from scratch. It's established. That doesn't excite me. Maybe that's changed in the last 12 months, but certainly at the start of this season, he was pretty categoric about not wanting to coach the Phoenix. Mm. All right, we'll wait and see what happens there. Good on you, Kane. Appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, buddy. Kane Pittman there from ESPN. So Kings v Breakers, that's how it's going to roll for the NBL title of this season. Can the Kings go back to back? Um, it'll be the first time they do that since their three-peat. They did in 03, 04, 05. And as I mentioned, the Breakers last won it since 2015, but they've won four titles in their time. And, the, and as Kane pointed out, they've done it the hard way um, like a lot of other teams have, but they've done it a very difficult way to get there. So congratulations to them. And that's the way it's going to play out. Boy, the texts are coming through thick and fast. So getting some interesting um, thoughts around the preseason. So old-fashioned overtime with 15 minutes a half, says Dan. Could we? Put, that's not going to cut it, is it? Sorry to poo-poo it straight away, Dan, but I'm thinking, you know, 30-odd degrees... Sunday afternoon, they've already delayed matches. 15 minutes, Ooh, no thanks. One-on-one uh, -on -one tackles, bro, says another texter. Hmm. Why can't they have live scores whilst the NRL preseason game is up on the big screen? Uh, the extra points on there. Well, they did. So they had the, <clears throat> this is what I'm saying, they had the count of the offloads um, and the commentators were great. They kept you, know, kept you abreast of what was going on, but it always came with a disclaimer. And the disclaimer was, these are our numbers, but the NRL has its own numbers. So whilst we think there were nine offloads, the NRL might think that it was 10 and it's game over. And if you're watching that game on Friday night, that's kind of where it was left. Um, Manly ended up with nine offloads. Had they got one more, they would have wrapped up the 100 grand. It makes it a good story. But when you leave it hanging like that, it's like, well, did they or didn't they? Well, you're just going to have to wait up wait up uh, until the morning and then see what the NRL stats come up with. Just have one person do it. I don't care who does it. <laughs> just let, in fact, let the broadcasters do it, right? Just stick with their number and that's it. We'll all go off those. Everyone happy? Yep, good. Then we know. So we get to the end of the game. They win the 100 or not? No, they didn't. Guess what? You're going to have to wait until Cronulla play Canterbury on Sunday afternoon to determine. Great. Now I know. And then you start to keep count. But there are apps, folks. There are apps that you can build. No problems at all. Maybe that's where the 100 grand goes in the development of that. We need to take a break. Uh, 1-300-01-1170. Pick up the phone if you'd like to give us a call this morning. Now, this one from Trotman. Uh, Trotman says, Harness Racing New South Wales have created a game called Fantasy Harness Racing, which updates live results after each race. 
NRL surely can do the same, just like the Supercoach uh, says the Trotman. Thank you for that. Uh, offloads, however, as Damo points out, one of the most contentious stats around. Two stats departments doesn't help the situation. Maybe something on defence. Tries conceded, bonus for two or less tries. Double bonus for no tries conceded. Hmm. Yeah, but your point's right. So offload's one of the most contentious. And, and the other point's exactly right. Two stats departments doesn't help the situation. Just come up with one. I'm happy to go with the, with the Fox Lab on this one. If that's the one that they're going for, let's take that. Matty, did you hear the ground staff personally thank the Australian cricket team for sweeping the pitch? <laughs> Save them the job at the end of the Aussie innings. <laughs> oh, that was nice. Thank you for that, Nick. Uh, Gary says maybe we should program robots to bat. It'd be the same. Imagine Ian Chappell being told how to bat. Doug Walters, they played their natural game a ball at a time. Wouldn't that be refreshing, Gary? Not anymore. Not anymore. To a, to an extent. Um, seriously, it's it's micromanaged to to the nth degree. Uh, mate, instead of overtime, what about a goal kicker shootout like a soccer penalty shootout? Mark for Red Bank. Yeah, well, I, I reckon somebody proposed that a little bit earlier. So a little bit of a shootout, sort of all-star three-point style. All-star in basketball, I'm saying. Go the old three-point um, shootout territory. Do the big arc and bend it round. What about that goal that Nathan Cleary kicked? Not, I mean, probably not the hardest kick in his life, but uh, Brandy was all over it. Ten metres in, nine metres in from the sideline. It's that one that you're going to miss. That's That's what it is. And it was the one to send them to Golden Point. And you'd prefer it. <laughs> Brandy made the point. You'd prefer it on the sideline because it's just that one that's right in the weird zone. You know, it's that putt. It's that putt that you know you can get. The old knee knocker. Exactly. Um, but that was amazing. Just on golf, is there any point Tiger Woods continuing to hobble around in elite tournaments, says Mike? The further the Genesis tournament went, the further he limped down the leaderboard to finish 16th behind the winner. I think it's time, folks. I mean, they miraculously saved his legs and he should have gracefully retired to the commentary box after a stellar career. Sure, Woods will then go and be an idiot with the uh, tampon thing, but I doubt if the penny will ever drop. So a lot more hobbling ahead for his fans. He finished in a tie for 45th. Did we work out? Tie for 45th down there. After rounds of 69, 74, 67, and 73. And the other issue, the bloke just doesn't get it. It's uh, the, the best thing that I saw around all that was that a, a tweet from one of the leading sports writers of his time, Rick Riley, who said, Tiger thought what was funny was what most, bleak, what most blokes thought was funny in sixth grade. The guy's a grown man needs to grow up and if he hasn't worked out by now that cameras are going to spot everything he never will but does he continue to limp around I mean he shows he can he can mix it with him two rounds of in the 60s including a 67 in round three so he finishes at one under the card plus two in the final round didn't help his chances but tie for 45th for Tiger Woods does he continue to go looks as though he's just going to keep going until he's until he's ready but that's the thing with golf you can go a long, long way before you have to gracefully retire to the commentary box. And I don't know if that's going to be the outcome for him either. Uh, a panel of judges that just votes on the best game as far as entertainment value goes and split the prize 50-50. For example, the World Club Challenge game was the most entertaining to watch, says Matty. 
That's not a bad one. That's not a bad one. Final 30 minutes. Let's load up, folks. Give me your most outrageous, entertaining ideas you can think of to make the next preseason challenge. Not about offloads and countdowns and stats, two different stats departments. What can decide it? There are bonus points on offer, but what can decide them? It's got to be something different. Thank you, Vanessa. On the Sale GP incident, uh, this one from Timbo and Brizzy. Thanks for listening in, Timbo. Maddie, they actually had the Canadian uh, F50 out of the water and down on the ground. Things then went pear-shaped. The mast and the sail were taken off. There were others still in the water sitting there riding it out until it passed. I was there on one of the spectator boats and had the best time watching Saturday sailing. Absolutely loved it. Can you help me get on one, please? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Timbo, I'd love to. I'd love to try and pull some strings uh, to try and get you on one of those. Um, I don't know how far I'd go. <laughs> You're going to have to pick up the phone and, and hunt down Sir Russell Coots, uh, as you probably well know, New Zealand sailing legend, royalty, or Larry Ellison. He's the bloke that writes the checks, and he's bankrolled this whole scenario. But it was bizarre that they had one and, and, you know, they had the crane pulling it out. And then once you see how bad it is and once you know how big they are and, I mean, that's multi-million dollars damage there, but it could have been a lot, lot worse. It was just a freakish situation. But I'm not surprised at all, Timbo, that it blew you away. I'm just not because Sail GP is quite literally Formula One on water and it's mad. And it's a bummer that it ended that way. But, hey, freakish weather is freakish weather. How about says Reedy and Coffs, most points for most outrageous mascot performance. <laughs> now we're going somewhere. Now we're going. We've got 30 minutes left on this Monday morning. I'll be here all week. Try the chicken. But uh, th- now we've got somewhere. So we're going to mascot performances. <laughs> Are we judged on bonus points for what the most outrageous thing that the mascot can do? Uh, happy with that. Matt says, what about like weekend golf? Every team gets a handicap i.e. the Dolphins get 30 points head start down to the Panthers playing off scratch. That throws a different one in there. I reckon it's probably easier to go to mascots. And then, so then you engage. So I keep going back to the phone because I saw that craziness in the NBA. Tommy, welcome to you. Morning, Maddie, listeners, Alex, thank you. Good time to bring you in. Listeners, did you see the NBA unveil of their new app and their new live in-game experience? Where they take a shot of you, Tom. Mm-hmm. Yep. As you as you are today with your t-shirt on, and it's a three sixty degree shot, and basically you become an avatar, mm-hmm. but then you become a real live player. So all of a sudden you say, "I want to play in LeBron James's position," and all of a sudden in the live game while you're watching on your app, you become LeBron. Whatever LeBron does. I'm mimicking LeBron. I mean, it's not different to what I usually do on the basketball court, but you know, oh, uh, no, I saw, no, I'm kidding. No, I saw it. I saw it yesterday, Maddie, and it kind That's of blew insane. my mind. Yeah, it's it's you know, it's great for kids, kids. I mean, it's great for anyone, but kids as well, especially. Yeah, that's who should, who they should market at. Imagine a young kid as well who loves Kalen Ponga. Hey, um, can I just see what Kalen Ponga does? I want to be him or James Tedesco or Tom Dravoyevich or Latrell Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, I wonder how much it would cost. Much harder that's in rugby league, given the scope and the, and the size of the playing field and all that kind of stuff. It's much easier in, in basketball. But all of a sudden, you become the live player. And, it's, and, and you're in the gear that you're in, but you become that player. So whatever LeBron does is now you doing it. It's extraordinary. If you, if you haven't seen it, jump on the web and find it because 
it's pretty crazy stuff. It was the NBA commissioner who... Yeah, it was Adam Silver. Adam Silver, that's right, who rolled it out. He's a cool cat, and he delivered it perfectly. So options are there. Options are there. So if we had a mascot, right, the old vote on the app... They're always innovating in the NBA. They're always innovating. They're right. I think they're on the forefront. Yeah, they've got that much cash. Um, NFL is far more popular in the States than NBA. I think NBA is globally a bit more. But, like, but you look at the TV mm. numbers, but NBA has been on the forefront for innovation. Oh, yeah. Um, Money. And it's a lot easier as well for the NBA because their players, they're a lot more marketable. They're not wearing helmets where you can't see them. They're very recognizable. Yep. Uh, try scored by a rookie or a player that's played less than 10 NRL games should be worth double. If a forward scores a try, it should be worth five points and they have to take the kick at goal, says Josh. I'd like that. What about bonus points for a captain's challenge? If you get, if you get a correct captain's challenge. Yeah, but what if a forward calls it? It's worth double bonus points. Is it the same for a winger? Winger yeah, as well. That's fair. It, don't you reckon? So captain's challenge correct. Bing, there's an extra two points. I don't mind that one. That's okay. Now, what else is on your radar this morning? Uh, well, we've had, I mean, the two biggest issues or talking points has been the whole preseason challenge on the Australian. Can we just stop the love affair? We spoke about this before the show, Maddie, and I, I respectfully disagree with a lot of the comments about Justin Langer. Can we just stop the love affair with Justin Langer and how, how much he would have changed? Would, he, would the Australian team have played differently under Justin Langer in India, the first two tests? Maybe. Probably. Maybe. But we don't know for sure. But Justin Langer also was the coach of the team that led Australia to lose to a B team, a B-grade Indian team. Let's not, let's not forget that. We smashed them in India, uh, in Adelaide. You called that match, Matty, where we bowled them out for 36. And then Tim Payne arrogantly at the SCG during the draw said, uh, wait till we get to the Gabba. We haven't lost to a team there in 20 years. And what happened? We lost to India, a B-grade Indian side, which didn't have Virat Kohli. And who was that led by? One Justin Langer. So let's, let's just calm down there. And we retain the ashes or we smash the, the English in the ashes when noticeably Justin Langer took a backward seat in the leadership. It was Pat Cummins, it was David Warner, it was Steve Smith leading that charge. Now, was it a, a very a poor England team? Yes, compared to the one that we're seeing today and currently that, that beat New Zealand in this whole Basball revolution, 100%, but we still beat them. I just don't like this whole revisionist history that the Australian public, mm. led by... It, Easily influenced by some former players who are best mates with JL and Western Australians who are very parochial and like to be Western Australians before they are, in fact, Australians, <laughs> just like to back up Justin Langer. Let's just be real and just call it as it is. Oh, that's it. That is for me. That's that's for the cricket. Now back on to where were you two and a half hours ago? And, but well, you've had a you know you got to let the uh, let you have your say. As I've always said, it's your show, not my show. And finally, preseason challenge. You had a little crack at me this morning saying what happened to your roosters. A lot no, of, a lot no, no. Of, a I lot didn't of, have a crack at you saying what happened to your roosters. I had a crack at you saying we smashed your roosters. A lot of my mates saying what happened to the roosters. And I go, just do we remember last year? Remember the Penrith Panthers lost 36-0 last year mm. to the Parramatta Eels. What happened? Panthers beat the Eels in the grand final. Let's just, again, calm down. In my Are you opinion, saying Manly play the roosters in the grand final? Is that what you're saying? And then the loser wins, so the roosters <laughs> will win. But I'll just say the roosters. No Joey Manu, no Jad Rhea Hargreaves, yeah. no Luke Keery, no Sam Walker, no Angus Crider, no Satili Tupanua. So a host of players. And that, that's the same for a host of other teams. And the World Surf League, we've got a final underway at Sunset. So the Hurley Pro Sunset. Molly Picklam, the Australian, is in the final against Caroline Marks. So it's only just started 
Um, Pickland with the first wave and a 4.53. So that looks kind of nice out there, Jules. That'll keep mm. you busy for the next three hours, that final. Three hours of surfing. <laughs> Come on, Picklem. Come on. Is surfing one of those things? Because, you know, when the Olympics come around every four years, we instantly become experts in the diving. Yeah. Right, they hit the water. No, no, good. 7.2. Yeah. No, is it surfing? They catch the waving. Yeah, that's, that's a five. five point. Yeah. I would not have a clue. <laughs> would not have a clue. Anything happened in sport over the weekend? No, nah, no, nah, it's been a pretty quiet morning. Yeah. Uh, if I was you, I wouldn't even bother with the texts. I mean, there's there's really nothing going on no. whatsoever. I, you could just take the couple of hundred that are still sitting there from, from my little inbox um, mm. because, no, it has gone berserk this morning. And on a couple of fronts, as you probably guessed, Australia v. India, oh. that's a no-brainer. But also the pre-season as well and, and the different angles that everyone's coming at the pre-season. Is it worth it? What did I take out of it? Did I take anything? The bonus point, there's all sorts of different layers out of the preseason, which I find pretty interesting. Isn't it funny, Tigers fans off the back of that win? Where do I buy grand final tickets? Yep. You know, Manly fans, you know, the Des era is yep. well and truly in the rear view. Manly fa- where does the club buy me grand final tickets? Because they've got an extra 100 grand. Well, $100,000. I heard your discussion. Now, what do you do with it? Do you remember back in the day, I'm thinking, when the touring parties would come to Australia for the cricketing summer, and, and I thought the, the prevailing thought was if you win the car for player of the series, you sell it and put it into the, the team kitty. Yeah. Or maybe the Baccarat Crystal Vols or yes. the, the Golden Goblets or whatever the case may be. And, and yeah. then, you know, do the what Sid you do. Chrome Spanner Set. Yes, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Sid Chrome. I just thinking about the Spanner Set. You know, who would use that? Or, or you probably get more use out of that than the Goblets. You know, with the Golden. And you have to act like, oh, wow, this is fantastic. We'll check this off the Christmas list. So $100,000, look, nothing to be sneezed at, certainly for a club uh, like Manly. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't take a lot of stock in, in trial form. You know, I'm a Dragons fan, as you know, Matty, and uh, we got pumped, looked pretty ordinary. Hook is adamant he can fix whatever problems they have, but I draw people's attention to the fact that the Dragons put 30 on South and a half of football in the season proper last year. Mm. South's made a prelim, Dragons missed the eight. So let's just, everyone just cool <laughs> their jets ever so slightly. Do you want to have a crack at this wave? So Molly Picklam's up and riding, second wave, mm. and it's now closed out on her. So, no, I mean... 4.5, well, hang on, it's just reforming now. So she's going to have another crack. And now she's pulled off the back of it. So 4.53 for the first wave. You were talking for most of that. You want to just chuck a number at us? Uh, that'll be a 4.4. 4. Just waiting for scores now. Okay. Um, yeah. I have no idea. I, I'm going to say it wasn't wasn't worth anything. No. no. Okay. I'm you know more than was... I. I mean, you're a, you're a beaches man. Anyway. Say, I've yeah. called surfing. Have you? Yeah. It's not. How it ain't you, easy. How does one call cool surfing? I'll tell you how you call surfing. You ready? So this is the this is the the classic case of know your role. Yes. I'm not the expert. You're the expert. Who was your colour person? Oh, I can't yeah. remember. There was a couple like a, of them. It was a bit of a rotate. Yeah. It was down yeah. at North Narrabeen. It was yeah. the old Coke Classic. Yeah. So what I would do is go, Molly Picklam in the red singlet. Here comes a wave up and riding. Bang. And that's where I'd stop. Right, okay. On the crest, yeah, she's going through the barrel. <laughs> nice little cut and thrust up the top oh, of the see, wave. I was right. Yeah, what, okay. Yeah. I say it was worth nothing. Point worth nothing, two. Yeah. Did I say point two? It's yeah. because I've got the live scores ahead of me and they're about seven I, seconds I, I ahead of the TV. Up, but you should not have told me that. I was about to hail you as some kind of surfing genius. <laughs> I'm kind of genius. I'm, I'm not bad at the, the, the surfing on the Nintendo. Oh, yes. Yeah, we've got this Olympics game in Nintendo and you can choose surfing. Right. It's now an Olympic sport, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm pretty decent at that. And do you, can you... I can't beat my eight-year-old son, but who can? <laughs> I remember, um, who, who's the, the gentleman that was the, the legendary court announcer, tennis court announcer? Oh, name's just escaped. We did the, 
the um, Kennards hire, uh, no, no, Storage King ads. Um, oh, Craig Willis. Craig, Craig yeah. Willis. And years LG. ago. LG. Yes. Life's uh, good. Storage King. Yeah. And we were at the Sydney International years ago to see the great Marty Fish take on Leighton 2.0 in uh, Peter Luchak. He says, please no flash photography. There's enough uh, lighting around if you'd like to take photos. And then in Craig and his inimitable voices, you know, if anybody doesn't know how to disable the flash on your camera, just ask any 14-year-old in the venue and they'll be able to work it out for you. Yeah, so. LG, LG, life's good. Yes, one yes. of the guys at Seven, one of the young producers at Seven when we were doing the tennis and he was working with us, got him to do the uh, the answering machine message. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you phoned Julian. Yeah. LG, great, life's it? good. Yes. Oh, he was an absolute hero with his mates at the time. We've waffled a fair bit. What's uh, what's coming up on your show? Uh, well, Casper, who was over there calling the match live for SEN, he's going to join us to, for, in the words of Rab's pace, mortimise the uh, the second test. Uh, Adam Jackson, nine reporter uh, there in Queensland, going to talk uh, trials, but with a bit of a Queensland angle. And Trent Thomas from Media Week to see uh, who has tuned in to all the weekend sporting action. Nice work. Uh, Marks is on the board. Caroline Marks with a 0.3 score. Mm. I think you had her at a 0.29. I so, did, yeah, yeah. yeah routed. Yeah, very, routed. very routed. close. Thank you. Very close. Julian King coming up. Now, Caroline Marks has just scored a 7.5 wave, uh, but she's still a point and a bit behind in this final against Molly Picklam. So it's the Sunset uh, Beach, the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach. So Australia's Molly Picklam looking to uh, take that one out. So Julian King will keep you updated with that. Now, tomorrow on the program... Uh, Graham Annesley will join us. So always look forward to the chat with Graham. It's interesting, isn't it, in terms of the the, the rule changes or any of that, there, has, there hasn't been a big tip-up. Um, a few interpretations differently. What did they gain out of the NRL preseason? What are the issues ahead of us? So Graham will give us some time tomorrow and we'll have a good chat with him. That's on the program tomorrow. A couple of texts to finish before I leave you, uh, Matty, those last two tests are extremely important, as the Pearl points out. A 4-0 loss may see the Aussies miss the test championship. That's right, Pearl, and something that Socky pointed out when we spoke to him earlier too. What about a bonus point for long-range tries? So the play you're the ball inside your own half, and then you get a bonus point for that. Yeah, maybe we just add points, bonus points to the overall point score. So then we know. Hmm. It took us a while, but we got there. <laughs> we finally got there. Thank you for your input, folks. Julian King coming up. Uh, don't forget this afternoon, the run home with Joel and the professor today. So a busy day ahead of you right here on SEN. We will do it all again tomorrow. Have a great day, everybody.